the Batman Universe Comic Podcast. Hey, this is Scott Snyder. Hi, this is Denny O'Neill. My name is Neil Adams. This is Paul Dini. Hi, my name is Dan DeDeal. This is Kevin Conroy. Hey, this is Francis Manipal. Hi, this is Jim Lee, and you're listening to the Batman Universe Comic Podcast. everyone and welcome to the Batman Universe Comic Podcast, episode number 147. I'm your host, Dustin, and as always, I have with me... Uh, this is Ed. And this is Stella. And we are bringing you the latest comic news and comic book reviews from the weeks of October 12th through November 1st. We have a total of four books to cover. We will be, as I mentioned in the last episode, continuing on our TV spotlight. Uh, but we also have some fan comments about the idea mm. that we talked about. Uh, very pleased with the response we had. So we'll get into that a little bit later, uh, right before the TV spotlight. But like I said, four books and we have three weeks of news. So let's just jump straight into the news. So the very first thing we have is over on the website, uh, Terry Houston, our comic news reporter, reported or posted up an article about Peter Tomasi talking about Damien and Robin Rises. Um, you can check out the article over on the website, specifically an article, it's an interview. I know we haven't really talked about a lot of the interviews because we haven't posted a lot of them on the website, mostly because there's not a whole lot of news, but the interview discusses Tomasi's relationship with Damien and why Damien has always been a favorite of his. Um, so in, in, in a way it was an interesting look. There's not a whole lot of news that comes out of it other than at the end of the article, he basically said, listen, if you want to know who it is, wait till December. But that turned out not to be the case because as we found out later on, it, we definitely didn't have to wait till December to find out who it is. We'll get into that in a minute. Uh, the next thing we've got also on October 17th, uh, it was announced that January, the variant covers for January will be flash themed. Um, they are celebrating the 75th anniversary uh, Flash with uh, covers for a total of uh, 22 different titles that will have Flash-themed covers, um, 10 of which are TBU titles. Uh, just running through the, the TBU titles, we have Batgirl number 38, Batman number 38, Batman Robin number 38, Batman Superman number 18, Catwoman number 38, Detective Comics number 38, Harley Quinn number 14, and... Grayson number six, and I guess if you want to include Teen Titans number six as a TBU book, go ahead. Um, we have uh, a gallery up on the website for you to check out all of the ten titles that uh, have varying covers that are part of the Batman universe. It's it's they're kind of interesting. It's basically like a take on very classic covers related to Bat, you know, the character who's in the book. So, for example. Uh, Batman and Robin number 38 is the classic Batman holding the, uh, I don't know, the thing that Robin jumps through in Robin's first appearance in the comics. And, but Flash happens to be in the background, just, you know, popping up. The covers, all of the covers seem to be very, very similar in style where, uh, even the one with Catwoman has Catwoman's first appearance on the cover. Um, and Flash just, jumping into the middle of it. So kind of cool. I mean, Flash isn't Batman universe, but nonetheless, we still have plenty of books that are going to have uh, Flash on the cover come January. 
The next thing we've got is on October 20th, the solicitations for January were released. Uh, first off, talking about graphic novels and trades, um, DC released uh, a number of different things that will be coming out in February and March of 2014. Several of these are collected editions for current and former New 52 ongoing titles, uh, specifically the last trade for Batman the Dark Knight, um, but also offer new collections, including Batman Dark Knight Dark City, Collecting Batman 452 through 454 and Detective Comics 629 through 633, as well as a new deluxe edition of Batman Adventures Mad Love by Paul Dini and Bruce Timm. Uh, there's a hardcover collection of the miniseries Batman 66 meets the Green Hornet, a paperback collection of Batman Blink. Uh, this is a story arc that was featured in Legends of the Dark Knight. Uh, Scooby-Doo team-up collection featuring... Several DC heroes, including Batman Robin, uh, paperback collection of Damien, Son of Batman. And then in March, we have uh, Batman the Dark Knight Unwrapped by David Finch, deluxe edition hardback, uh, including Batman the Dark Knight number one through three and Batman the Return number one, as well as Batman the Dark Knight volume two, number one through seven and nine, all in pencil form. Um, you can see the full list over on the website if you are interested. Um, some of the other ones, specifically the New 52 ones, we have Teen Titans Volume 5, Secret Origins Volume 1, and Batwing Volume 5 as well. So you can check out all of those uh, over on the website. As far as uh, solicitations for the normal monthly series, um, January's biggest announcement is probably the reveal of who will be taking up the mantle of Robin after the conclusion of Robin Rises Alpha which comes at the beginning of the year marking the 75th anniversary of The Boy Wonder. Uh, while we'll talk about who is Robin in a minute, it, the solicitations were blatantly obvious as to who is Robin. Uh, so if you didn't get spoiled by, or if you didn't want to find out who Robin was going to be, hopefully you didn't read any articles with uh, solicitations mentioned. Um, in other ongoing titles, Batman number 38 still deals with the return of the Joker as well as the series of backup stories about the encounters with the Joker. Detective Comics number 38 sees the continuation of the Manipul Buccioletto new arc with Anarchy and Batman gets infected with the Amazo virus in the pages of Justice League number 38. Um, additionally, we see the debut of Bluebird in Batman Eternal number 42 along with the solicitation for issue 42 and 43 promise a twist to the preview we got in Batman number 28. In addition to the titles dealing with the Dark Knight, Red Hood and the Outlaws finds Jason taking Venom in order to save Starfire. Crime boss Selina gets confronted by Batman in Catwoman number 38. Harley Quinn has a new love interest in Harley Quinn number 14. Also, Mr. Freeze arrives at the new Arkham facility in Arkham Manor number 4. A big confrontation between Batman, Batman Beyond, and Tim Drake in the New 52 Futures End number 38. And lastly, in alternate Earth, Batman News, Earth 2 World's End number 17 will focus on Batman of Earth 2, Thomas Wayne, and his search for a cure for the infection from Apocalypse. So you can check out the, as usual, ginormous list of books that are coming out in the month of January. Um, tons of stuff, as always. See, my co-hosts have nothing to say because they're all waiting to talk about the new Robin. Well, I'll say, I'll say this. I'm, I am glad that they're collecting Dark Knight, Dark City in trade. I'm actually looking forward to seeing that one. Nice to have a non-New 52 story published in trade. Yes. New. All right, so let's just get to the big news. October 20th, um, basically with the solicitations arriving to the – basically DC releasing the solicitations, Peter Tomasi took to Twitter uh, when he realized that uh, the solicitations would spoil the reveal of the new Robin. 
While DC decided to keep the surprise ending of Batman number 35 a secret to avoid all spoilers, they opted out of doing so for that for the reveal of the person who will be taking up the mantle of Boy Wonder. Uh, Tomasi decided to break the news to his fans himself when he realized that DC was going to ruin the suspense months ahead of time and confirm the identity as well as a leaked, as leaked the cover image for Batman number 30, Batman Robin number 38 as well. So the solicitation and the new cover reveal, in fact, show that Bruce Wayne will be successful in bringing his son Damien back from the grave to retake the title of Robin. The cover for the issue reveals Damien very much alive and once again wearing the Robin costume. The full solicitations, uh, it's not worth reading, but basically the cover shows Damien ripping off his suit, having the Robin costume underneath, and what appears to be bulletproof, because he is taking a large amount of bullets with stride. So, let's talk about Damien returning. Well, I mean, I guess the obvious thing is there really wasn't anyone else who it really could have been, I don't think, especially once we established in, in the Batman Eternal uh, look-ahead issue in, in Batman that Harper Rowe wasn't going to be Robin. I guess we all kind of knew he was going to be the guy coming back, right? As soon as we figured out it wasn't going to be Harper Rowe, you know, we and we have these, we have the Lark character, which we'll talk about in a minute. As we know who that's going to be too now. Um, as soon as we figured out it wasn't going to be any of these other characters that popped up, the only glaring, you know, outside the box choice was Carrie Kelly. But there's been no signs of that coming to fruition with within the pages of Batman Robin since since Damien's been gone. Carrie Kelly has had very very minor appearances in the title, and it's very it was very doubtful that suddenly she was going to just jump into the role of Robin. Um, given the big storyline leading up to the return of Robin with Batman going to Apocalypse, as we'll talk about with Batman Robin number thirty five when we get to our comic reviews. There really doesn't seem like there was a whole lot of options, especially on how massive this story that's happening in, in Batman and Robin is. If Batman failed to bring Robin back to life, I don't really know who he would just suddenly turn to, unless, of course, he resorted back to, you know, Tim Drake, which, you know, was always a possibility because he was a Robin, even if they want to call him Red Robin and nothing but Red Robin in the New 52. That was a possibility, but realistically, there just wasn't a whole lot of options. Yeah, I mean, and, and I think that was the kind of the, the spoil of the surprise in a way. I mean, I understand why they didn't keep it secret because there almost wasn't much left to keep secret, except the other part of news, which somehow got leaked to. Yeah, and what a disappointment that that news got leaked and, you know, other news was kept close to the vest. And I think it was certainly possible to to do it, uh, to keep it secret because there have been countless times where Marvel solicitations have just like, it said like top secret, like they didn't even give anything. Maybe they gave you a very vague solicitation, but there was no image on it to, to give anything away. And, and perhaps that, that would have been the way to do it. You know, until this moment, and I, I, I swear to this, I <clears throat> had been staying away from all spoilers about who it was just because I wanted to, to be surprised with the the rest of humankind that was staying and I was able to until this moment um, I think you know it was something that it seemed inevitable but I also thought is this too easy you know is it too easy that Damian Wayne is going to be the person that is coming back as Robin and you know that I, I love Damian Wayne and, and it'll be nice to see him but I think that 
even though it is Damian Wayne coming back, I feel like it's not going to be our Damian Wayne because going through what he has gone through, or at least his body, and now, you know, we see he's bulletproof somehow. I'll cue the Sia music. Um, <laughs> I feel like something is, it's going to be a huge change and he's not going to be the character that we said goodbye to. And I'm a little nervous about that just because, you know, we had gained so much ground with this character and especially with uh, the relationship between his father and himself, uh, are we going to be starting back at uh, square one? So people may be happy that he's back, but my question is in what form is he back? Yeah, I would agree. It's going to be difficult to see. The thing is, I, you know, knowing that he, you know, could potentially have superpowers, he's going to add a giant, you know, new element into the Bat Family because there really isn't anybody with actual superpowers in the Bat Family. So that could be interesting. I guess uh, Robin or Damian Wayne, I should say, as Robin will have no problem saying he's the best Robin against all the other Robins uh, when it comes to skills, if he has superpowers. But I think, you know, if he comes back differently, I don't know that that's necessarily a bad thing because it gives, it's kind of like, I don't know, you know, we don't have any idea how, how exactly he's going to be different or if he'll be different at all. But if he is different, I think it could be interesting because in some ways we're almost seeing that relationship between Bruce and Damien be created yet again. Do I think it's a little too soon to see that? Yeah, probably, but we don't really know what they're doing for sure. So it's not really worth, I, I, the one thing that I just, I, I guess I couldn't get over was the idea that literally last episode, when we were talking about Batman number 35, we talked about how DC did such a great job of not revealing it. And with this, it's basically like they just did not care. Uh, there's been plenty of months piggybacking off the comment you made, Stella, about Marvel using their top secret or whatever comments when they release solicitations. There's plenty of times where DC will release the solicitations where the cover will have, you know, a blacked out image. We, used to, right. we, yep. we haven't seen that in a while, but they have done it in the past where the cover will have a blacked out image or the solicitation text will read something completely nondescript where it's not informative at all. We see that all the time. It has nothing necessarily to do with the fact that there's going to be a giant reveal. There just is, you know, look at the solicitations for Batman for 35, 36, and 37, and you can almost realize that no mention of the Joker or inclination that the Joker is what they're talking about is, is, is mentioned. So I think it's kind of sad that DC decided to, I mean, this is pretty much the other large thing that's happening in the Batman universe right now. And they basically dropped the ball so, so hard compared to, you know, not dropping the ball at all and actually completely keeping it hidden for Scott Snyder. Yeah. But I, I, Although I, I understand what you guys are saying, I don't think you can look at it as DC drop. It wasn't – if this had been an accident, but this was a plan. I mean this wasn't yes, like yes. – this wasn't like someone of Bleeding Cool or someplace like Newsarama got it and leaked it, right? right. Like they, they told us themselves, which is like – which which w- would lead you to believe that either A, someone didn't think it out, which God, I hope not, right? But – or that they decided to let us know, which doesn't make any sense. And it's just these things where I'm curious where – I would like to ask, you know, from a marketing perspective and a business perspective, to say, hey, guys, what what made you lead to this decision to let the cat out of the bag on this particular one? So 
Yeah, it's, it's just weird that this wasn't leaked by some third party that they yeah. just told us. From Tomaski's, um, you said he took to Twitter. I mean, could well, he you? He took to Twitter because basically what happened, I was following because I follow him on Twitter and Tomasi's, he doesn't make a lot, he doesn't talk a lot on Twitter. Like every once in a great while, he'll pop on, thank the fans, show mm-hmm. some, show some art from an issue that had already released. But most of the time he's pretty dormant on Twitter. You know, I don't blame them. You know, there's plenty of stuff on everyone's plates where they can't always be, you know, Twitter hounds and stuff. Okay. But basically what happened was knowing the solicitations were coming out that specific day, he must have got a phone call from, you know, maybe Mark Doyle and said, hey, here's a solicitation for your book that's coming out today. And Tomasi was like, wait a second, they're revealing it. He, based off of his specific tweets, it did not come across as he was pleased with the fact that they no. were, <laughs> that they were, that they were revealing it. And he was basically like, well, I found out they're going to reveal it, so... I'm going to reveal it before them because I can't believe they're going to do this. So then he posted up the cover and he posted up the the fact that it was Damien coming back. It was him who said it first, but it was with the knowledge that DC was going to do it later that day. No, no, it was it was very much na 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 na. I get to break my own secrets. No one else gets to. And it's fine because I get where Tomasi's coming from. Because if you're a writer who's because think about how long he's been on this story arc for. I mean. The five stages of grief and this are all kind of one long story that he's been working on for, what, a year? Yeah, but even you know? then, you go back, he's the only other writer right now who's still on the original book. That's true, of, from the 52. From the yeah. 52 outside of Snyder, so. It's, it, it would, it would suck to, to have that ruined for no, no apparent reason that I can even get. But what do you think about the superpower thing, though? I mean, are you looking forward to that at all, or are you kind of just leery of it? You too. I honestly feel like, it could be just a story element that is going to die out. I feel like that Chaos Crystal is going to have something to do with the reason why he gets powers, but I feel like it may not last because it's been, because, uh, I think it was mentioned in, I can't remember what issue, but the, it, one of the issues where the Chaos Crystal first came into play, I remember them saying like it holds power, but the power doesn't last or something happens or like it was powering the whole city, but the city, you know, is no longer around. I doubt that Damien's walked around with the cast crystal in his pocket. So I feel like maybe it'll be like a temporary thing or something like that where, you know, it helps him come back to life, but, and he gets powers as a side effect or something like that. I don't know. It's hard to say because when I'm seeing her talking over this in my head, I'm seeing her thinking, well, if, the powers go away. Well, then wouldn't he eventually die too? So mm-hmm. I don't. I, I don't know exactly what direction they're going. I guess that's the thing I can look forward to now, leading up to him coming back. I think it just. I mean, nothing on Apocalypse. I think, or or any of the things that they use, uh, can be well explained. I, I think that there are always unforeseen circumstances with what's going on, and I can just see this coming from the use of the Chaos Crystal. And, and what had been going on there. So hopefully it's, yeah, just a short-term effect, but it'll be interesting, yeah, to see what happens. Because we've never had a, a real super-powered member of the Bat family. I mean, we've mm-hmm. had Superman and people like that ride along, mm-hmm. but this would be the first, quote-unquote, super-powered member of the family. So it'd be interesting. All right, so with that news, we go into some news that uh, you probably weren't looking for, you probably weren't <laughs> ever expecting. <laughs> But hey, it's, it's, you know, it could possibly be happening. So, uh, our favorite Batman director of all time, Joel Schumacher, uh, could <laughs> possibly be creating a comic series. Oh, God. So I'm saying this obviously completely as a joke for those of you who don't realize that I 
am capable of joking. Joel Schumacher, not favorite Batman director ever, but, uh, Bleeding Cool has reported that they were given information that Schumacher is working with artist Dustin Wen to create a new 12-issue Batman comic, uh, not as another adaption of the films, but, you know, reimagining of Schumacher's initial vision for the three films, um, as Schumacher had intended to make a third film entitled Batman Triumphant. The new comic would be written, rewritten version of the original stories and cover the entire arc in the span of a year. Uh, obviously there is no official announcement from DC, but Bleeding Cool suggests that the announcement could come soon. Now, there's a couple of glaring problems with this. Uh, before we get, let's just talk logistic problems for a second. Joel Schumacher, by my knowledge, has never written a comic in his life, so I have a hard time believing that he's heading this up. Um, I don't know if, if he is, if he has written films. I know he did not write Batman Forever and Batman Robin, so I don't know if he would be paired with somebody else. Uh, having Dustin one as the artist, I mean, I guess it, it does give credence to the series if it actually does happen. But I guess the thing that I'm having a problem with is I noticed that someone mentioned online when I was looking around, Dustin Wen is supposed to be launching an image series next year with Jeff Lamar. So I have a hard time believing that he's going to have time to do a 12-issue story arc or 12-issue series with Joel Schumacher if he's launching a series with Jeff Lamar at uh, with Image next year. So don't know exactly all the details. We don't know if this is actually true. Bleeding Cool has had a very ha- has had very good success with stuff about comics leaking before it actually happens. But at the same time, there has, they have had stuff where, you know, it might have leaked and it gets horrible response and then we never hear about it again. That's happened before. And there's been plenty of times where we've reported things on, on the website. Uh, there was a graphic novel a couple of years back that was rumored to happen that just never happened, but it was like a big deal when it first was announced and it never really was officially announced, but it almost felt like, you know, this stuff happens. Every once in a while, these projects don't actually come together. Now, it could be interesting because, as it turns out, uh, George Clooney, while he was at New York Comic Con, apologized for Batman and Robin, and Schumacher gave an interview to Variety where he took all the blame for the films. Now, both of these things happened just in the last month, so it is interesting that both of those things happened. And then, of course, we hear this news about a possible comic series. Would I want to see this? Ah. <sighs> I really don't think that I would. Uh, you know, Joel Schumacher says multiple times that the reason why Batman Robin turned out to be the way it was was for a number of different reasons. One, they wanted the, they wanted a sequel to Batman Forever very, very quick. Um, and they, they, Warner Brothers specifically told him you have to put these certain things in here to appeal towards the toy market and kids buying toys and stuff like that. And the fact that uh, Val Kilmer basically left at the 11th hour and George Clooney jumped in as the role of Batman. All that stuff happened very quickly. The movie got put together very quickly. There's a lot of things that went wrong for that movie to begin with. But he was at the helm and his name was stamped on that movie. And if you don't agree with what's happening, well, we see it a lot more nowadays with some of the Marvel movies where actors or directors who are attached to attached to the project's they decide they don't want to see it go in the direction that the main company wants it to go, so they they walk. Uh, we saw it with Ant Man more recently, Edward Norton with the Hulk a couple of, a while back, 
But basically, there's a bunch of different things. So, <laughs> do you guys really even want to see this if it happens? First of all, I thought Dustin Wynn was smarter than this. That being said, I, I don't, I don't know. I don't think I really want to see it. I mean, is, I mean, if, here's the, I'm being serious. It's going to sound like I'm trying to be funny, but I, what I'm about to say is serious. If you read this, isn't going to, this going to be like the old train wreck thing? Like everyone likes to watch a train wreck. So you're just, that, that would be why you read it. Really? To see how bad it was, or I mean, how I don't bad think it, it could have been. That's yeah, the I mean, thing. yeah, I don't think anyone's going to go into it going, you know, I'm going. This is my chance to have a new perspective on the movies. Everyone would go into it going, "Let's see how ridiculous this is." And I don't think if you, you know, if you if you're writing a parody of something that's funny, but don't parody yourself. Um, I actually really like Batman and Robin. Okay. It's, uh, <laughs> I I love it actually. Do you um, love it from? Because it's Batgirl in the film, or do you love it because huh. it's actually a good movie? I, I think it's very entertaining. Is it good compared to you know the Nolan films? Maybe not, but I will rewatch it, and I I very I very much love it. Um, obviously, I see that there are problems with it, but I guess I just don't view it um, with the mindset of like a, a staunch uh, lover of Batman. I think this very much reminds me of Kevin Smith because Kevin Smith, I feel like at one point he had never written a comic before and then he came in, he wrote, he wrote some, some Spider-Man stuff and then he wrote, um, uh, widening. Yeah, there you go. So I feel like it's the same thing. So I don't know, you know, if you guys like Kevin, I've actually not read any of his work, but perhaps, you know, maybe Joel Schumacher will surprise us. Uh, because he, but yes, go ahead. <laughs> he wasn't the one who wrote the script for Batman and Robin, was he? Uh, no, he was not. I'll give him that. Okay, so, you know, he could be getting an unfair shake. Uh, yeah, I, I trust us in a win, so I mean... Chances are we'll love the artwork, but we won't really like the story. But, uh, yeah, hearing what Dustin had to say about him doing an image thing, I wonder how long he will last. But uh, very strange news, to be sure. Yeah, so we'll just leave it at that because I don't want to talk about it too much because we don't even know if this is actually going to happen. But with that, let's move into the next news and the last bit of news. Uh, so the last thing is on Halloween, Scott Snyder did a Reddit AMA, which is an Ask Me Anything um, and he was, there was a bunch of different things that he was, he talked about. Um, but specifically one of the things that he was asked was, is there a year two plan for Batman Eternal? So he said, yep, the story ends in March and then we'll do year two after a break. We have to get way ahead on a weekly series before it starts coming out. So we have confirmation. Um, you know, we talked about this, I I think it was a couple episodes back with Tim Seeley saying that he was approached by DC on whether or not he would want to return if they were going to continue it. So the interesting thing is this will actually be the first weekly series that will go past 52 issues, or I guess past 48 issues, which was Action Weekly in the 1940s by any publisher. Is it really? Uh, yeah, I was I was reading that in an article online. I was like, wow, that's kind of crazy. Um, so Batman Eternal, it, not going away anytime soon. Wasn't 52, 52 issues long? Yes, it was 52, but it didn't continue after that. Uh, right. Sure. Well, it did. Countdown. Kinda. Well, that was a, but that is technically a different series because it was Countdown title. and then right. another 52. Um, but some of the other things he talked about in his AMA, um, he'd like to write Wonder Woman after his time on Batman ends. Uh, he said that Crazy Quilt will appear in, <gasps> in the game. 
now we don't know if I now the Terry posted the article on the site and he said probably a joke. But when I went through the AMA, it didn't actually seem like it was a joke. It felt completely serious that Crazy Quilt is going to appear at some point. I mean, I guess if he's going to appear in Endgame, it makes sense because Crazy Quilt, Joker, maybe they could have some sort of cross paths. Who knows? Um, he has plans to revisit the future Batman. We saw in the story he contributed to Detective Comics number 27. Uh, he confirmed that Duke Thomas, as we saw, is as Robin in the Batman and Robin uh, Future's End issue. Duke Thomas will, in fact, be Lark. So now we know who Lark is going to be. Uh, Dick will be continuing his stint as a spy for the foreseeable future. And next summer, we'll, we'll bring bigger roles for characters like Harper Rose, Stephanie Brown, and Duke Thomas. Meaning, who knows what. I don't think it has anything to do with necessarily Batman Eternal. But that means we could see some more additional Batman series featuring these, char- or these characters. Uh, Batman number 36 will show how Endgame has been in the works for a long time. He has been approached to write television and film, but has no desire to do so right now. He really plans to stick to smaller stories in Batman for the foreseeable future. And the Court of Owls will be returning soon. The one thing, I, I mean, all of those, I mean, Duke Thomas is Lark, I guess in some ways that makes sense because we know that Duke Thomas was featured in the Batman and Robin Future's End issue. And in my opinion, it was almost like, okay, where is this guy going to come from that he's going to be Robin? So if he's Lark, hey, expand the Batman universe as much as you want. I don't have a problem with that. Um, him saying he really plans to stick to smaller stories in Batman, well, it depends on how long he's going to be on Batman to see if that actually happens because I have a feeling that's not going to be the case for a very long period of time, especially if he plans on bringing the Court of Owls back. Unless it's happening in Batman Eternal. I think the crazy quilt thing is real, though, by the way. I think so, too. So, the, I mean, honestly, the biggest news, Batman Eternal is going to continue. We'll have to wait and see to what exactly we're going to do with Batman Eternal if it continues. I think it would probably make sense to keep covering it like we are now, especially if it delves so much into the Batman universe. If anything, it'll be like the one book that will focus on all of the other characters in the Batman universe that exists since there's been so many characters who have appeared in the series thus far, I imagine that it will probably continue to do that where it's basically the Batman universe book instead of just, you know, focusing on Batman, like we see in so many of the other titles. Actually, I think we kind of need to keep the book. I don't know if it has to stay weekly. I mean, I think it could go monthly, even bi-weekly or something like that. But with, like you said, with so many characters out there, a lot of them don't have their own titles, like notable characters like red Robin, spoiler people like that. I mean, we need a book to explore this character, you know, they're just going to die off. And you're adding more characters like Harper Row and Lark and everything else. I mean, if you don't have a book like Eternal, you're just going to have a lot of these customers go away for a year or two at a time. I, I feel like it's almost too much of a good thing and that they should stop while they're ahead. I also think that Eternal is, um, it's very difficult, I think, to follow that as well as all the other bat titles they're following because, it's in a strange continuity. It's like in a strange middle verse with everything else. So it's very hard to read all the other things that are going on, you know, like Batman and even, you know, Batgirl is after Eternal. Like, it's, it's very weird. It's in this weird middle ground. And I don't necessarily care for that. I would prefer everything to be in, like, the same little timeline that we have. All right. So with that, that is all of our news that we have for this episode. So let's jump straight into our comic book reviews. 
And the very first one is Batman and Robin number 35. You can't let your emotions get the best of you. Batman and Robin number 35. Robin Rises Hellbound. Writer Peter J. Tomasi, penciler Patrick Gleason, inker Mick Gray, and colors John Kalitz. Having arrived on Apocalypse, Batman first activates a cloaking device for his Hellbat suit before then rescuing a group of lowlies from a painful death, burning in the pits. The parademons who serve Darkseid seek the one responsible, but Batman reveals himself just as he wraps his fist around the neck of one of their number and demands to know where glorious Godfrey is hiding before smashing in its face. Meanwhile, in the Batcave, Alfred, <laughs> Alfred, ooh, he's back, is distracted from his feeding of the animals by the return of Batman's protégés. Question, does he clean up the, uh, the cow dung? I'm pretty uh, sure he probably does. <laughs> he is glad to see that they've embraced the fact that they are a part of a family, but they can do little to provide help to Batman since he took the mother box he used to get to P- Apocalypse with him. Red Robin, though, suggests that they might be able to use Cyborg... Oh, my gosh. Okay. Red Robin, though, suggests that they might be able to use Cyborg to get there, despite Vic's already having insisted that he wants no part of it. Alfred, though, has a plan that might help convince him. However, he warns that in their absence, others will have to protect Gotham. That means contacting Batwing and Batwoman, the latter of whom is anything but happy to shoulder the load. On Apocalypse, Calabac kneels before his father's restoration chamber, promising that when he wakes, he'll be proud of his son. In Darkseid's absence, he has taken on the role of an unforgiving tyrant. He has also gathered artifacts which he believes will speed the healing process for Darkseid, and if Darkseid is stronger, Apocalypse will be stronger. Skeptically, Cyborg stands in the Batcave, wondering why he's been called. Hello. Batgirl explains that Batman set up a holographic image, um, or set up several holographic images of supervillains around the world to distract the League from stopping him in his plan, but that the ones he programmed to appear in Gotham are more difficult for his own allies to shut off than the others. As such, they have come to Cyborg in the hopes that he can shut them off. When Victor plugs into the system, though, an electric shock renders him unconscious, allowing the Bat family to take advantage of his suit's technology without him preventing them. Who said the Bat family doesn't have ethics? Before they activate the boom tube within Cyborg's suit, Alfred calls him aside, revealing that he has modified versions of Damien's suit to help them survive an apocalypse, and attaches his Robin symbol to each of them as a reminder of whom they are fighting for. Once equipped, Barbara activates a boom tube. They leap through it. Cyborg wakes, and unfortunately, he chases right after them. It's like a scene out of Samurai Jack. Titus tries to pull him back, but both Victor and the dog are pulled through just as the portal closes. I'm a little scared for this. Uh, meanwhile, Batman <laughs> arrives at Godfrey's compound and attracts his enemy's attention, taking down all the Justifiers standing guard. Grabbing Godfrey, he thrusts him down to one of the pits, insisting that he be taken to his son and to the Chaos Crystal at once. Batgirl, Red Robin, and Red Hood arrive before a gathering of hungry lowlies, only to be followed by Victor and Titus moments later. Unfortunately, the lowlies decide that they should make a dinner of the newcomers. Um, it's like, what's that place called? <laughs> On the Walking Dead? Terminus? Oh. Yeah, Terminus! <laughs> It totally blanked. Yes. Anyways, we're at Terminus. Calabac has created a device that uses the Chaos Shard and Damien Sarcophagus to power the Chaos Cannon, which we all believed was going to happen, which he fires at a nearby planet. Hopefully Princess Leia is not standing there. Destroying it and capturing the attention of Batman and his allies. 
Next up, uh, chaos as Robin Rises continues. So lots of stuff happened. Um, I first want to talk about my second point is about the Bat family. So I'll bring that, but the, my first thing that I want to talk about is just, um, the use of Batwoman and Cyborg, especially in this particular issue, just that the Bat family, which normally neglects Batwoman, all of a sudden they decide to use her. It's like one of those terrible friendships where you only talk to someone when you need them. So what do you think of Batman, Batwoman's inclusion? And then Cyborg. I mean, I was a little, a little dismayed at, at how they used him. Um, just it, it seemed out of character. I understand what's at stake here, but I just thought, oh my goodness, what are they doing? So your thoughts on Batwoman and Cyborg, their inclusion in this issue, and how they are used. It was about time that Batwoman showed up because honestly, I, I, I mean, I know that she doesn't, I mean, we, we, we're seeing this also at the same time in Batman Eternal, how she's not really in, around. Right. Um, she has had a couple of small appearances in Eternal, but it seems so weird for her to have that name and to never be involved with the Bat family. I know that she's, you know, at odds or, you know, disagrees with Batman and with certain things, but the fact that she's basically calling Gotham her home and she's not involved with the Bat family, it just doesn't make a lot of sense. So it was nice to see her inclusion for that. Cyborg appearing, not really that big of a deal. I mean, he was there for a specific purpose with the boom tube. Made sense. Um, the fact that he's going to be also involved with, you know, the Bat family helping out Batman. You know, okay, whatever. I, I guess the thing that I don't understand is Batman is in a suit and, you know, a suit that's fully enclosed. No, but none of them are. And I don't know that Apocalypse, they breathe the same things, but I could be completely wrong. I'm not as familiar with Apocalypse other than the few things that we've seen in the Batman universe. I think the other problem is is the fact that he's in that Hellbat suit, which is made to have combat on Apocalypse. And the rest of them just have uh, just have their ra- – I mean yeah. they're not – Hardened suits or whatever. Yeah, I don't, I, I don't see where they're going to be of tremendous assistance, to be totally honest with you. Um – I think Cyborg here is almost a necessity of the plot. We have to get to Apocalypse somehow. Cyborg can make a boom tube, you know? So I think he is a necessity. Uh, I think the fact that they may have brought him along, I'm actually glad he got brought along because at least he's got some firepower behind him. So he might be an asset there. Um, but Batwoman, I mean, that's a good point, Stella, because she really is starting to feel like the, uh, and it's funny because she has red hair. The, the, the stepchild. <laughs> yeah, the red-headed stepchild of the Bat family. She's, you know, I mean, she just kind of, uh, she shows up when, when, you know, when everyone's getting together or when they're all leaving town. Um, so I, I and it's funny because I thought when we had the new creative team on Batwoman, we were supposed to see her much more interconnect with the Bat universe, but in, in kind of a, instead of a few like small instances, it still really feels like she's totally divorced from the universe. Um, but I like seeing her in the book. I just, you know, wish there was more with her. Uh, I also like seeing her in, in the book. And just as Dustin said, I mean, just with that prefix bat, right? You would expect it to be a member of the family. I mean, heck, Jason Todd is there. You know what I'm saying? And who's more of a redheaded stepchild than he? And it's just a bummer because it could be a really awesome universe. And the time that you choose to portray her is in this issue. And it's only for like the group to come in and be like, I'm sorry, we've got to go do something. It's up to you to protect 
Gotham as well as all of your other responsibilities. And it just makes me upset that, just like I said, you know, a friend that doesn't talk to you, a friend with quotes, friend that doesn't talk to you and then says, hey, I'm going out of town. Can you watch my house? I mean, let's be honest. You kind of be annoyed. So I, I certainly feel for her. Uh, I hope that after this, maybe she's included more, like maybe this is the, the gateway uh, to, to get her into that universe more. I'm so a little bit upset about the cyborg thing. I mean, obviously, yes, we needed to use him, but it just seemed like a really dirty and like ethical trick that, hey, we're going to lie to you about this. We're going to plug you in and like short circuit you. So I don't know. I have a bit of a, a problem with that. And I wonder if there are going to be any repercussions after they get back from or is something terrible going to happen to to somebody. I mean, Titus is on. How is Titus going to survive? That's a little nerve wracking. Um, okay. So the second thing is actually, I think Ed started a little bit in it, but just the Bat family going to apocalypse, because I feel like, correct me if I'm wrong, but we talked about this and we thought that in that, that wonderful emotional issue where Batman apologizes and they became a family again. And I think we had wanted to, or we thought that you know, it'd be awesome if they all went together, but it didn't seem logical because obviously it would be unsafe and they don't have superpowers. But look what has happened. So were you shocked to see this happen? Um, and, and what are you thinking about the outcome of that? I mean, is this a good decision and the outcome? Just thoughts on the Bat family going to apocalypse. You know, I kind of mentioned, you know, I don't know how they're going to, how this is going to work, but do I think it's uh, good for them all to be there? Yes. I think, you know, honestly, I think I was kind of peeved by the fact that, you know, they're all sitting there. Batman's like, listen, I need you to just stay here and watch after Gotham. I'm going to go and I don't know if I'm coming back. And they all, they, you know, they all were very hesitant about letting him go by himself in the first place. But I think what's interesting and makes the most sense is, them to say, yes, Batman, sure, we'll do what you're saying. And then as soon as he leaves, them say, listen, we're going to go do this anyway. So I think it's good for them to go because honestly, you know, outside of Dick Grayson not being there because he, you know, can't because of the situation with him, um, I think it makes the most sense for the Bat family to be there to bring Damien back. And I'm looking forward to seeing how this impacts what's going to happen in the next two months. I think that for terms of the storyline, it's it's great to have them along. But in, in terms of their characters, I think it's a terrible idea. Because, like I said, I don't think that they're going to be of any help there at all. Um, I mean, think about it. When there's an invasion from Apocalypse, it's the heavy hitters that have to come out. You know, Wonder Woman's, the Aquaman's, the Superman's, the Power Girl's. I don't know how effective these people are going to be there. Um, I could see this being one of the old, you know, issues where at the end he ends up, they all end up being captured and Batman having to save Robin and rescue them as well. Um, in terms of storyline, I'm glad that they're there because I think it'll be, it'll be fun to see them all on Apocalypse together. But as, in terms of how it might work out for them, it may not have been their, uh, their best call. Mm-hmm. Um, ugh. yeah. I, uh, I love that they're all together, but again, it's, it's a bunch of non-powered people, uh, and, and especially Titus, which makes me nervous, I'll say again, uh, <laughs> all fighting, uh, in this, this creepy, creepy world. So yeah, it's a little scary. Hey, I do have a quick question. Well, two quick questions, but what would you think about the, the added flair, the Robin flair that, that the, the, 
that Jason, Barbara, and Tim are all wearing something closer to, uh, to Damien Wayne wear. And also, what did you think of the Hellbat? Cause I feel like what we saw of the Hellbat to begin with is very different than what we saw as it almost like evolved through the issue and it kind of became like this scary living creature. Um, but maybe that's just me and how I was seeing it. But what'd you think about just the art and, and that little added Robin flair? Um, well, real quick, Hellbat. Uh, I think that, I think we're honestly, this was like just kind of like setting things up on Apocalypse. I think we're going to see a ton more in this month, November's issue of the Hellbat in action. Um, I, and I imagine in December, we're going to see some massive fight scenes in the two issues that are coming out for December. But the Robin Flair, I think it's kind of cool. I wish there was almost like a, a bigger spread. Of, of the three of them because it, it would have been a perfect promo image for them to use yeah. next year for Robin's 75th anniversary, mm-hmm. which I'm sure they will not be celebrating nearly as much as Batman's, but you can, one can hope. I liked it. I thought it was cool. Yeah. Um, it kind of reinforces the fact that they're all Robins and, and I do like the fact that they kind of are including Batgirl as being one of the Robins, although she wasn't a quote unquote Robin. Mm-hmm. Um, I like the fact that they show that there is that inner bat family, which is the Robins, and the Batgirls are part of that. Um, and I think that's a, a cool way to do it. Batman Robin number 35, I'm going to give a total of three and a half out of five batterings. Uh, three out of five. Yeah, I think there were some really great moments in here. Uh, but I'm hoping that we'll build, we'll build it along, especially with Batwoman. But love the, just the emotion of seeing those three characters with their Robin uniform, but not as strong. So I'm going to give it a three out of five. All right. And over on the website, Corbin gave it four. So that's going to give Batman Robin number 35 a total of three and a half out of five batterings. Let's move into our next book, Batman Eternal number 28. Batman Eternal, number 28, written by Tim C. I I should say, script by Tim Seeley, art by Megan Hetrick. Uh, the issue starts off where we see Red Hood having a fight inside of a bar, talking to Starfire and uh, Arsenal Roy Harper, uh, basically saying, okay, it's time for you to come pick me up. Uh, Starfire says, I don't think uh, everything's done. Why don't you go say goodbye to Batgirl? He goes, oh, well, you think so? Okay. Uh, meanwhile, Batgirl is, you know, torturing Jason Bard by having him tied up and dropping him from the top of the building. Uh, at the Moffat building, we see Bone having Catwoman tied up. He's going to kill her in front of everybody who's paid a lot of money to see her killed. Um, Jade is in the building or in the room as well, and her, her uncle is making her watch this. But as it appears, Killer Croc is coming up the elevator. On the other side of town, Flamingo just got his rear end handed to him yet again by Batman. And we see Julia talking to Batman about why are we letting him go? And she says, because we want to see where he goes. Back at the Moffat building, we see uh, Bone about to whack Catwoman when Killer Croc bursts in, starts taking out tons of people. We see Tiger Shark saying to everybody, give me his hide and I'll give everybody, uh, whoever gets me his hide, I'll give him a ton of money, but don't put any holes in it. Um, Catwoman takes out Bone. Uh, Killer Croc is basically taking out everyone else in the room. Jade ends up freeing Catwoman, but uh, she ends up taking a stray bullet. Red Hood goes to Barbara's apartment. Uh, it's this, the apartment that she used to be in with Alicia. 
Um, and she, he realizes that she has taken Jason Bard. So he goes after her. Um, at the Moffat building again, Flamingo is going up, uh, looking to watch Catwoman get killed when that's not going to happen because Batman's followed him. Uh, Bone is being pulled out. Um, the Jade's uncle is dead. Um, and Killer Croc is very, very upset because Jade is also dead. Uh, he says, lock me up because they're taking away everything that I have. Um, meanwhile, on the top of the building, Batgirl is still torturing Jason Bard. Red Hood approaches and says, stop, you're not this person. You don't do this. You fight the bad guys. You don't do this. This isn't you. And he says, it's me. And he grabs the rope from her and then just lets it go. And as Jason Bard plummets towards the earth, Barbara runs over, grabs the rope, and stops him from smacking into the ground. Uh, we then see he's alive. Uh, Barbara says, you're right, this isn't me. Um, we then see Batman say to Killer Croc, back away from the girl, um, and because he doesn't know what happened. Uh, Catwoman decides to jump in and defend Killer Croc by saying, "Let leave him alone. And uh, she gives Batman a hug, says, I could have stopped it all, but I didn't. So I have no one and I, you know, I have, I have to fix this. Uh, meanwhile, in Sprang Bridge, Jason Todd and Barbara are reminiscing and, uh, Barbara basically says, you should stay in Gotham. Maybe you should help the family. And he says, no, I can't because I'll never be Dick Grayson. Uh, at Blackgate Penitentiary, we see Catwoman crawl through the sewers and she approaches her father and says, all right. You, you got it. This is the only, this, I, I've realized now what you've said. I have to do it. I have to become the daughter of the lion and take over the crime families. Next up, Hell on Earth. All right. So real quick, just a couple of things. I mean, this is basically the turning point as the cover so prominently puts it for a lot of these different characters. Uh, Catwoman basically realizes that she doesn't really have a choice because the crime families are all at war with each other and there's a lot of innocent people that get caught in the crossfire. She realizes that, you know, this is the time, you know, if this is what I need to do to stop this from happening, then I need to do it and take my father's advice. So we see that. Then we see Barbara realizing that maybe it's not a good idea to be, you know, doing what she's doing to Jason Bard because that's not her. So we see a turning point for her. We see a turning point for Jason Todd where he realizes that no matter how much him and Batgirl might have something. He's never going to be able to be Dick Grayson. So he's leaving town. Um, and we see Batman, who basically is kind of on the outside of all of these different situations. He definitely doesn't have a turning point. But my real only question about this issue is, what did you guys think of how this story progressed over the course of this one issue? I, I think that the uh, the Batgirl stuff is, is interesting. I, I think that it's kind of weird seeing it doesn't it seem like they really start to have a, a bigger relationship now? Like Barbara and, and Jason are having a, a real relationship, not not like a dating relationship, but mm-hmm. it's like like we're starting to actually see them, you know, build something here where where you could see these two working together in the future. And they're and they're the ways of doing things is is really probably more opposite than anybody. Like when Damien comes back in a couple months, you can see Damien and Jason working together easily, you know. Uh, but Barbara and uh, and and Jason seem to be a little different. Um, I, so I do like the setup. I, you know, the Catwoman thing is something we knew that's been coming for a while. So it's, it's, it's very nice from my perspective just to get it over with. Instead of having another thing in the future that we already know is going to happen, let's just get to the point so we can start moving Selena's story forward. 
Yeah, I think all these, this issue, really, if, you know, scheduling, I, I think it should have been the first week of this month because Batgirl 35, Catwoman 35, I mean, all of those really, I think, uh, connect to the end of and, and the, the results of what happens uh, from this particular issue. I think, um, you know, I, I've read Countdown. I, I followed it through. I'm one of the five people who've done it. And um, I always actually really liked the Jason Bard-Donna Troy relationship. And I very much, you know, I shipped them and everything. I just thought it was very good and, and interesting, something you wouldn't really have recognized. And <clears throat> Jason, J- did I say Jason Bard? Hopefully I didn't. Uh, Jason Todd is an interesting character because... He's a little rough around the edges, which, you know, everyone knows that. But to be the person to tell Babs, you need to back off, this is not you, is very interesting because that's, you know, Batman did that to him during um, that the lead-up to death in the family. Uh, and to see it progress because she, I think, was very angry towards him, just the fact that Batman chose him to to go and talk to her and then he was getting in the way of her investigation and basically being all righteous and everything. And to see it get to this point on Spring Bridge, which I think was just a, a very beautiful scene, just the fact that they they were together and everything. But but to end it, I, I, I didn't really like the, I don't know, the, the Barbara Gordon thing. I can totally get she was finally pushed to the edge and she realized, like, this is not me. I'm turning into Batman and that's not who I want to be. But the Jason Todd, it was just really sad. And I think that's something that's always plagued him is the fact that he was the second Dick Grayson. I mean, his hair was dyed to look like Dick Grayson. So it, it's just sad that it, it goes back to that. And then, you know, he's basically turning his back on, on the relationship that was developed over the, the several issues in Eternal, and he goes back to his life with uh, the, what are they? The Outlaws. Um, as for Catwoman, I think I liked that scene as well. It was a little weird, the fact that um, she hugs him, <laughs> and he's just like, what, what am I supposed to do? But then, you know, he says, I'm here. And then I think the really big moment is just the fact that she says, no, you're not. I have no one. And that's really the turning point because, you know, in, in Catwoman 35, which is my spotlight issue, spoiler for the rest of the episode, um, you really get a sense of, of her turning point. Uh, and and I, I just think that I, I was a little lost as to what happened to poor little Jade. But then I, I turned back and you have to kind of look at where the shot was coming from. But Croc, you never really think about having sympathy and empathy for Croc. But I think Eternal has done a really great job with this character and just making him more than just this monstrous um, evil villain guy that eats other people. But having... I mean, being the king of the sewers and, and taking care of his people and, and really loving someone. I feel like love is not a word you would identify Killer Croc with. So, uh, it was, I think this was a, a very tragic moment and I, I think just dotted throughout and you wouldn't expect these three different episodes to come together well, but just, I mean, I think a lot of emotion here and yeah, just like, you know, the title is Turning Points and it was just a very deep and, and well done issue. All right, so Batman Eternal number 28, I'm going to give four out of five batterings. Three and a half out of five. I'm also going to give it a three and a half. All right, and over on the website, Corbin gave it three and a half, so that's going to give Batman Eternal number 28 a total of three and a half out of five batterings. Let's move into our next issue, Batman Eternal number 29.
Batman Eternal number 29, written or script by Ray Fox, art by Simon Colby. Uh, the issue starts off with Alfred, who is still envisioning things. He appears to be being attacked by Swamp Thing or Swamp Thing-like being. Um, but as it turns out, he's in Arkham Asylum. And uh, Magpie and Professor Milo, or Dr. Milo, as Magpie calls him, are viewing and says, you know, you know well, we're just going to leave him here and see what happens. Um, meanwhile, in the depths of Arkham Asylum, we see Deacon Blackfire trying to basically hail the specter out of Jim Corrigan um, so that he can control the specter and do what he wants to do. Uh, we see Joker's daughter, who has emerged from the underground of Arkham Asylum, and is now, I guess, out and about in the city. But as it turns out, she sees a note that says, go to Blackfire, do what he says. And she realizes, hmm, maybe I should go do this. Uh, meanwhile, uh, just across the streets, we see Hush dripping some blood, which, as it turns out, it's Batman's blood. And he's creating, uh, or he's accessing a location of, like a storage place for uh, Batman to have some of his gear, some ammo and stuff, and he's setting a bomb for it. Uh, below Arkham, we see Batwing uh, being attacked by more monsters, as we've seen multiple times in the past, but his suit is very close to being completely failed. Um, he is able to contact Batman with his comlink. Batman says, oh, you said that everything was fine the last time I talked to you, and he says, nope, it has, it's not... I need you to help because there's some crazy crap going down here. Um, Batwing then escapes uh, all of the creatures that he's fighting for the time being. Um, above the asylum, we see Dr. Milo talking to Magpie and says, we got to bring these girls down to Deacon Blackfire because uh, they're being used for something. Um, as it turns out, uh, he says, listen, maybe... Uh, or Magpie says, maybe uh, it's time to wake up. Uh, you used to be my doctor. What What is going on? Um, then we see a weird panel where it appears that both of them were dead at some point, both Magpie and Professor Milo, and uh, or Dr. Milo. I know I keep saying Professor, but that's normally what he is, not a doctor. Um, they basically talk about the fact that the Ten-Eyed Man killed both of them and they were brought back to life to work towards something. Uh, we see some hints at Bane also being locked in Arkham Asylum right now. Uh, meanwhile, across town, Batman is trying to figure out exactly what's going on when two GCPD helicopters approach trying to take out, uh, I guess, a, a unruly crowd and he decides he's going to take out the helicopters by gassing one of them, sending it into off-panel land to possibly crash. And uh, the other one, he goes in, sends out some sort of blackout bomb, knocks the guys out, and hijacks the helicopter. Uh, we see Julia Pennyworth, who is now trying to decipher Riddler's code that we saw way, 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 way back. I can't remember exactly what issue, but I think it was like 10, 11, or 12, somewhere around there. It's been a while since we've seen it. Um, she's trying to crack it. Um, Batman, of course, has the easiest cipher code to try to decipher it. Uh, Enigma with a Y. And she starts working at it. And lo and behold, it works. Um, meanwhile, Joker's daughter is going back down to Arkham. She's taking out a bunch of... Deacon Blackfire's goons and comes to realize that maybe it's not her dad who's actually telling her to do this. She's pretty ticked about this. 
The Spectre is about to emerge out of uh, Jim Corrigan when we see Batwing call up all of his broken gear that's been scattered all over the asylum. It gravitates towards him. The Spectre is becoming unleashed. And we find out that the text is, um, the specific text that uh, Riddler said is, Arkham is just a piece of the plan. If you can read this, you are smart enough to know our foe. Uh, meanwhile, Spectre emerges from Jim Corrigan, and we see Arkham Asylum have a giant green light emerge from it and a giant boom. Next up, the open gate. All right, so in this one, um, we see a bunch of different things pick up from, I mean, it's been a while since we've had any talk about what's been going on in Arkham Asylum. The first thing that I noticed was Batman, when Batwing is able to hail Batman on the com- communication, um, he, the first thing he says is, listen, Batman says, listen, uh, you told me everything was fine, but we just saw in an issue not that long ago, Batman go to Arkham and realize that everything was not okay. Mm-hmm. And say, you know, I thought, I thought Batwing said everything was fine. So Batman should have already known based off of that. So there's a small mishap with the, the, uh, the multitude of writers that are all working on this at the same time. Not that big of a deal. Didn't really change anything. Um, I honestly don't have a whole lot to talk about. Uh, the Riddler thing is kind of interesting. Um, I remember when that code first came out. And like I said, it has been a long time since we first saw that. And I remember Ray Fox posting the code on his, uh, I believe his Tumblr or blog or whatever he has, um, and saying, here's the code if anyone wants to try to decipher it. And, and thinking to myself, yeah, there's no way I'm, I'm going to figure this out. Um, I figured if, at some point it would, it would be revealed and it, it, here it is. Um, so yeah, I, I mean, do you guys have any thoughts about this issue? I know Stella, you said that this is the confusing storyline amongst all of the storylines that are happening in Eternal, but it looks like, I mean, we know in the next issue it's kind of wrapping up. Mm-hmm. So what did you guys think? I mean, it was fine. It, it definitely felt like a transition issue, though. You know, like, okay, we're going to wrap this up, so let's tick these boxes off. I totally forgot about the, the Riddler code. I mean, I just thought that this – I just, you know, totally forgot about it. Um, my only issue with this is the uh, – is the this kind of weird – thing going on with the Joker's daughter. Um, maybe it's mm-hmm. just I don't like the character, but it just I don't see what the point of her in a, in a story where you already have so many moving pieces where we got different timelines, different things went on, and it's already confusing as almost a necessity of this large of a story. I think having her here for and maybe there's a reason that we'll see in a couple issues, but her presence here is uh unnecessary feeling to me. When when we finish Batman Eternal, which I guess it's not ending, but, you know, with its original run, I really want to look back and see if <clears throat> this part of the story was at all necessary because it's the one that is so disjointed and disconnected from everything else, in my opinion. Uh, we have some cool characters. I, I think, well, I guess Blackfire was, you know, the cool character that we had because we were all shocked that he was brought in. And you've got Batwing, which is great to see him. And then, of course, uh, the Spectre, which I think we've really been waiting since the first time that um, Corrigan was introduced there. But everything else is just like... It just doesn't seem like it, it moves with the, the, the bigger part of, you know, what Hush is doing and, and all that stuff. And, uh, yeah, I just, I don't enjoy this, this part. And it's a bummer because I like Batwing 
and I'd like to see more of that. But there's just so much stuff going on, and it just doesn't seem to flow well. Um, yeah, and Joker's daughter, who really knows what's ever going on with her. And I guess now, you know, there's Alfred, so I guess that's another reason we should be caring about this storyline, but... It's just the weird one. And, and they happen so few and far between. I, I can't even think of when the last time we saw this story, this part of it. I don't think it was last month. I could be wrong. No, but I, I'm pretty sure it was like issue in somewhere in the teens was the last time we saw this. So it's see, been a while. Yeah. So that's, that's yeah. a problem it, because I, when we come back to it, I have to like scratch my brain to remember what was going on. Whereas everything else, I, I think it, it's very seamless and you can pick up what's going on. But it's this storyline that it's I'm just not jazzed for it when I see that. That's on my cover. <laughs> well, I mean, isn't it almost you know even more than that? Let's face it, isn't the other storyline just way more interesting? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I mean, I hate to. I'm not trying to jab at the guys who are writing this part of the story, but the other storyline with what's going on with with spoiler and everything else is is just far more interesting and hush especially it's just more fun and, and you get here it, it's like it's like the point point in the movie you know where you're like oh we got to deal with this crap again you know like you just I, I just was very excited about the next episode or next episode the next issue because we were just kind of moving on yeah it, you know for the most part you know it did feel like a transition and honestly i haven't really enjoyed the stuff that's been happening with the Deacon, Blackfire, Spectre, Batwing, because honestly, I feel like Batwing's just being underutilized in a lot of different ways. Jim Corrigan, it honestly, I mean, I don't, I don't think this was the initial intent, but it really just feels like they're introducing him in Batman Eternal so that they can say, Hey, we've introduced him within the new 52 to the Batman universe. So it makes sense of why he's going to be the main character in Gotham by midnight when we release that book next month. And it's bad to, you know, I'd feel bad saying that because I think Jim Corrigan is an interesting character. The problem is I just don't feel like we've really gotten anything out of it other than he has had, he's having problems with the Spectre and everybody else realizes that the Spectre is, you know, is a powerful being. Other than that, what are you really learning about this character? So, it, you know, it's, I don't think it was a bad issue by any means, but I feel like it's, it's kind of like what you said, Ed. It's, you know, this is the part where it's like, you don't, you're not really looking forward to this part, but it has to happen to move everything else. And so. it, and I think it's a disservice here too, because it's to, to characters like Jim Corgan and the Spectre, because one, this is an opportunity to introduce a po- probably a lot of people that are hardcore Batman readers who don't read stuff with the Spectre in it and things like that, you know? Mm-hmm. And I think that if you told me like, and here's the thing that I, and this is one of those things where it's like the sum of the parts is less than the parts. I mean, you have the Spectre, Batwing, Deacon Blackfire, and I love the cult, so I should be excited to see him here, right? Yeah. And, I, and you have Arkham Asylum, and you have, and you have a, a, you know, a, a riddle from the Riddler all tied into an issue. And when you, when you lay out like that, it sounds like this should be a very exciting issue. But it just doesn't but it's just not. like that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. No, yeah. All right. So. Batman Eternal number 29, I'm going to give a total of two and a half out of five batteries. Two and a half out of five. And I will third that by saying two and a half out of five. Corbin also gives it two and a half, so that's going to give Batman Eternal number 29 a total of two and a half out of five batteries. Let's move into our last book, Batman Eternal number 30. Batman Eternal number 30, written by Ray Fox, or as I've said multiple times, Ray Fox... Did the script for this issue, art by Fernando Basarin. 
the issue starts off with that giant green light emerging from Arkham Asylum. It turns out there's a bunch of problems because of it, including a plane that happened to be flying overhead, and now it is having a problem landing. So Batman says to Julia Pennyworth, send the bat plane, it'll autocorrect the uh, flight pattern, so that way it is solved. We then see 100 feet below Arkham Asylum, uh, Deacon Blackfire, who has called up the Spectre, um, and the Spectre is there, and he says, hey, I am the Spectre, and I am Heaven's Blade. Um, and we, we basically re- realize that the Spectre is so powerful that he t- tears Deacon Blackfire's essence or soul or whatever you want to call it out of this body that he's inhabiting, smashes it alongside all of the other horrid souls that have been plaguing the depths of Arkham Asylum. He smashes it and then returns it to Jim Corrigan. Uh, Joker's daughter uh, is trying to get out. She is following somebody that says, this way quickly, I have a present for you. Um, but she is blocked and she cannot get out because guess what? All those horrible souls were all holding up everything down below. So now everything's starting to crash. So Jim Corrigan gets pushed out by Batwing. Batwing gets stuck under a giant rock and cannot get out. Batman runs to Arkham Asylum uh, after the, you know, right outside the plane happened to be landed. And Batman runs over to Arkham Asylum as the entire asylum starts to implode. We see Alfred, who is now not dreaming. He is sitting on a bench and uh, he hears the booming uh, and has no idea what's going on. Right across from him we see Bane, which I know is a foreshadowing of something to come because I know the solicitations state that Bane is going to be making an appearance in Eternal. Uh, and the entire asylum looks to, uh, over an entire page, goes, Crack-a-ca-thoom! So that means it fall apart. Um, then we see Batman who is now trying to, who is trying to get there, but it appears the entire surrounding area, the land that is also, I guess, under, uh, above the, the caverns of, uh, where all this was taking place starts to, you know, basically implode into the earth as well. Batman starts falling. Um, he uses his grapple gun to save him, but tons of people have now died. Uh, we see bodies and destruction over a multitude of pages. Batwing is still alive, but, uh, as it turns out, he's, his arms are still pinned and he cannot get out. Um, he starts saying the Lord's Prayer and he blacks out. Uh, we then see Batman who's coming to the surface from the hole and the police have him surrounded. He realizes there's nothing he can do, so he jumps back into the hole, sets off some sort of smoke gas clouds that uh, he can get down. He gets into the uh, rubble and starts walking around when, hey, guess what? Who's there? Joker's daughter, and somehow she's got a suicide vest on. And she says, uh, all right, don't say hello, say boom. Next up, Barry Deep. All right, Batman Eternal number 30. A couple different points that I have for this. The, the first one is, um, okay, so Arkham Asylum is ba- basically completely imploded in itself. And as it's shown, it's a pile of rubble. Now, given there are caverns and things like that, so that there there is areas where I suppose there could be people who are still alive. But basically, we see Alfred, who's in Arkham Asylum. Bane is in Arkham Asylum. Jim Corrigan is somewhere in here, too. Batwing, we, we actually see in panel, we see Batwing, uh, you know, and what's happened to him with the collapse. But 
doesn't it feel like with the collapse, the way it's shown, that there's no way anybody's surviving? The only exceptions I could see for that would be Batwing because he's got the suit, right? And 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 maybe Jim Corgan. I mean, if, if Jim Corgan was still in, in Spectre mode, then the Spectre would protect him. But yeah, your point would be that the, the average people in there should be almost 100% dead, absolutely. I mean, exactly. Even with what they say, they're like, no, it's imploded. And, uh, somebody says, I can't remember if it was Batman or Julia. They say there's over, you know, hundreds of people are now dead because of this. And I'm just sitting here thinking to myself, like, Alfred dying is a pretty important thing. And it doesn't seem like they're even mentioning the possibility. I don't know if they know for a fact that he's in Arkham or not. I feel like they should know at this point, but it just, to me, it just feels a little odd because it's like, Nobody's really that cons- – I mean, like, yes, there's tons of people who have now died, but there's – not that I'm looking for Batman to shed a tear over the death of Bane or somebody like that. I don't even know why Bane is in Arkham Asylum at this point other than just for story purpose because every time we've ever seen him, he's always been in Blackgate. But it just seemed like that was a little far-fetched as far as the – I mean, don't get me wrong. I like the art and I thought it was great how they showed – everything collapsing and the detail and everything for that. I'm not complaining about that. I just feel like the way it was shown makes it seem like there's no way anybody's alive. No, there shouldn't be. I mean, yeah, yeah, I think you've hit on it right there. Like with the exception of someone who's got some superpowers, you should have, I mean, the way they show it is essentially a hole opens up in the ground and Arkham Asylum falls into it. I'm wondering almost if maybe Bane gets out and then he saves Alfred. Maybe. Maybe that's the direction they're going to go. And maybe that's why they kept showing that Bane was right across from Alfred. I don't know. Okay, the other thing I want to talk about is there's... So, if you read Arkham Manor, Arkham Manor specifically states this takes place after the events of issue number 30. Now, when I read Arkham Manor, I was looking forward to issue 30 because it was like, okay, we're going to see some crazy crap happen. You know, Arkham Asylum is 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 done for, and we're going to see Bruce Wayne lose his entire family fortune. So I did see Arkham Asylum explode, and we understand why there has to be a new facility for all of these crazies, but we don't see how we get to the point where Bruce Wayne loses his family fortune and why all of a sudden Wayne Manor can just be instantaneously turned into, you know, Arkham Manor. So I was wondering if if any of you were kind of peeved about that as much as I was because I was kind of like... Here's the thing. I have no problem with things taking place at different timelines. You know, they clearly said ahead of time that Arkham Manor and Batgirl and Catwoman were all taking place after events in Batman Eternal. Whether it was right now in Batman Eternal or if it was at the end of Batman Eternal, we all knew that things were happening. Batman Endgame and Batman is taking place after the events of Eternal. So all of these things are happening, but you have to sit here and wonder to themselves, okay... When I opened up Catwoman and was reading Catwoman, I didn't see any mention of this takes place after issue blah, blah, blah. I didn't see it in Batgirl either. So I'm wondering if there was reason to put that in if we didn't have this other huge part of the reason why Wayne Manor is not able to be owned by Bruce Wayne anymore. If anybody else was annoyed by this as this as me. It's certainly annoying. And, and, and I would think that the only natural assumption could be that they mean this takes place after the events of Batman Eternal number 32, 33, or 34, to be honest. It just, it's, it almost seems like it's just that we, we may get the exposition here in the next couple. I hope so, because if we don't get any exposition, then it's just, it's, they've lost us on a thread. 
Yeah. I mean, you know, I, I like things to be all neat and, and have a nice timeline all set up. And, and obviously 30 at least paves the way for the fact that Arkham Asylum is gone. So Arkham Manor, there's obviously a reason why they need to be at Wayne Manor, but the whole, um, how did Bruce lose his fortune, I think is a big head scratcher. And I think it just goes with the fact that there is something weird with publishing uh, timelines, scheduling, and uh, it just didn't align this month. And I guess the my, my last question, which isn't really a question, it's more like let's just do a quick prediction type thing. So we saw, we saw in the last issue Joker's Daughter get that purple note saying go back and do what Blackfire tells you to. But then we see Hush right across the street, leading us to believe that it was Hush who left the note for her to go back into Arkham Asylum for whatever reason. Then we see, and and I will say this, it doesn't feel like the intent of Hush was to demolish Arkham Asylum. It doesn't feel like that at all, given that that was because all of those souls that were holding it up were taken away by the Spectre. It kind of feels like it was just, you know, it was is a casualty of what was happening and it really wasn't necessarily it was collateral damage it wasn't supposed to happen according to anybody's plan the one thing is so she gets that note she goes back in and we see in this issue she somebody says to her come with me i've got a present for you it appears that she's locked or blocked from being able to get into that room where that person goes and now we see her at the end of the issue with the suicide vest strapped to her and she's going to blow it up other than taking out batman what is really the point of having a suicide vest in a building that just was demolished? It's got to be to kill Batman, right? I mean, I mean, there isn't any other – unless they've got her to try to kill Batwing. I mean – But see, if it was to take out Batman, it seems like that's not what Hush would want. So then who is the person who just gave her the suicide vest? Could it be Joker? I mean, he's back and it's not a secret anymore. Though this and does like- happen before. But doesn't and he kind of not like this chick? Like, doesn't I thought he, he didn't like it here either. But we haven't actually – I don't think we've seen anything with his reactions to her. I'm sure at some point – it would be amazing. And I just say this because I don't like the character of Joker's daughter at all. It would be amazing if Joker comes back full force and is like, you, you twit has been ho- wearing my face on you. Yeah. And then he slits her throat. Well, won't there have to – I mean I think that as much as that sounds fun – uh, <laughs> which it does. Um, that's going to have to happen in some regards because isn't he going to want his face back at some point? I mean, isn't that a part of the story that we're going to have to deal with in Endgame? Unless he's going to go around point. faceless, you know? At some point, or if he got plastic surgery or something, I don't know. So, I mean, I'm all for that too. That sounds delightful. Yeah. Could it be Hush or Riddler? I don't feel like it would be Hush. Riddler's, I could see Riddler. I mean, I could see Riddler too because, you know, he did leave that clue and they just brought him up in the last issue about the clue. And so I feel like that is, that could be entirely be a possibility. I'm not, I'm not going to dismiss that at all. Um, but I, I don't feel like it would be the Joker. I don't think the Joker would be like, here, I'm going to help you do whatever you're doing. I don't feel like Joker would want Batman dead either. Nor do I think Riddler would want Batman dead. There's not very many characters where I actually think they would want Batman dead. Well, I, I could believe by the ending of Death of the Family and, and just the stuff you've read from Snyder that this is the Joker's, this is the hate version of Joker as opposed to the love version. But I don't think there's any way on earth he would want anyone but him to be the one that kills him. 
All right, so Batman Eternal number 30, I'm going to give a total of three and a half out of five bad rings. I'm going to give this one two and a half out of five. I'm just going to give it three. All right, and over on the website, Corbin gave it three, so that's going to give Batman Eternal number 30 a total of three out of five bad rings. That is all of our books. Let's go over some of the other books that were reviewed over on the website. Uh, we do have uh, a, a number of new reviewers. Corbin is no longer the only one, so thank you for those of you who have stepped up. Um, first off, uh, let's go through. Uh, we have R- Arkham Manor, number one, reviewed by Corbin. He gave it four out of five bad ranks. Uh, we have uh, one of our new reviewers, Ryan Blair, who actually reviewed stuff about a year ago and is now back. He reviewed Injustice Gods Among Us, Year 3, Chapters 1 through 5, and gave it a 4.5 out of 5. Um, the Harley Quinn Annual Number 1, reviewed by Brian Crosby from the Batman Universe Podcast, he gave it 4 out of 5. And Batman 66, Chapter Number 46, Ryan Blair gave 5 out of 5 batterings. So be sure to check out all those other reviews over on the website. Now, before we get into our TBU Spotlight... You know, I, I sat here the last episode and I told you, hey, the only way this is going to work is if, in fact, we get enough feedback. So, first off, I want to say thank you to all of you who respond. Ten comments on this one, on the last episode of the Comic Cast. That's honestly more than we've seen in quite some time. And they're not all from the same exact people. There are a couple of duplicates, but for the most part, a wide range of people giving their opinion on what we should be doing with TV Spotlight. So thank you to those of you who respond. If you didn't respond, I implore you to comment on this episode and let us know whether or not you want us to do this TV Spotlight because after episode 147, it'll be up in the air as to what we do in the future. That being said, I just want to run through some of these comments. So first off, Jesse said, uh, just finished listening to 146, thought I'd drop you a line as requested. The more books you guys review, the more I like it. Got out of comics for a lot of years and have been getting back in mostly by listening to TBU podcasts. I like the spotlight idea. It is nice to hear what's going on in the rest of the world. I just don't have the money in my budget to get all the books every month, but hearing the reviews, it seems like I get to enjoy good storytelling. All right, so that's one for yes. Uh, Damian Wayne came <gasps> back from the dead. And commented, so glad the comment sections are back. Well, I want to say thank you, Damien, for noticing the comment sections are back. Not only are they back for the podcast, but they're also back for all news articles and reviews. And I will just plug right now, any of the comics that are reviewed on the website, we started a new thing where you as the reader will be able to also rate the comic and give it a one out of five bad rings as well. So be sure that if you're reading the reviews, you're not only giving your thoughts about the individual issues in the comment section, but also rating the individual comics. And we could we could possibly start incorporating those user ratings in the future, depending on how well it does. All right. So getting back to Damien's comments, he says, I love the new section. Keep it up. I also miss the Q&A section. Could that come back too? I love hearing you discuss as much as possible. So I'd love to hear spotlights, Q&As, and perhaps integrate Batman Robin back in just because Damien's awesome. Anywho, great podcast, ladies and gents. About two spotlight books. Gotham Academy is pretty awesome. I like that it's connected, but not intimately. Uh, it's nice to meet an entirely new cast and get to know some people, some new people, and s- see their take on such an interesting environment. I make a habit of getting new stories a chance, giving new stories a chance, and this book definitely was worth it. Batgirl was pretty cool. I'm 24, and Bab seems like she could be any one of my friends, so even as a guy, I really enjoyed it. Plus, 
since I've been in comics, I've tied, I've tried to really round out my knowledge of the entire Bad family. So I'm excited that this book is about Babs that I can actually stick with. Also, Injustice is mind-blowingly awesome, sauce-tastic. <laughs> okay, so real quick, Q&A section. No definites on that. By all means, we're I'm reading through the comments this episode. I'll probably read through them next time just because we are specifically trying to figure out whether or not TBU Spotlight works. But I'm glad to hear that you are... Uh, one integrating Batman and Robin. Well, we are we've we, we've never actually eliminated Batman and Robin, so hopefully this episode proves that by having us review it. All right, next up, Terry says, "Hey guys and gals, the the or hi hi hey guys and gal, another great episode. Specifically answered the question for which you want a response. I love the idea of TV Spotlight. I was a huge fan of the Point Five cast and still read pretty much all of those thirty plus books a month just because I love so many of the characters so much. So I'd love to hear your favorites or your summaries as you have the time and are willing to share them. So many new exciting things are going on in the Batman universe right now. It's fun as a fan and a partial contributor to see and hear TV firing on all cylinders. Also, I was planning on asking you guys another question as well. You mentioned how you were all genuinely surprised, as was I, with the ending of Batman number 35. Scott Snyder has had had to have used a lot of pull at DC to keep it a secret because that has has just not been their trend lately. I think the most uh, the such offense was spoiling the death of Damien early. So knowing all of that, my question is what? Do you think we will truly find out who the new Robin is Will be before we read in the pages? Well, I won't continue to read his comment because then he his next comment says, never mind that last part, because as we know, it was revealed anyway. Next up, Ryan says, long time, long time, first time here. I support the idea of taking up the highlights of issues that you are don't normally cover. Furthermore, if you, if you think a particular issue is great, I think you should be able to recommend it in that section too. You're all doing great work. Thank you, Ryan. Tanner says, hey, great episode, guys and gal. I'm liking the new format to your show. My question is more of a discussion point. In Batman number 35, we read Batman taking on Joker Eyes Justice League. Ever since reading Forever Evil, I have wondered just what would Batman do to defend himself from the Justice League? What would he use? And where would he take the fight? In the pages of Forever Evil, we see that over the time since Batman has met the Justice League, he has gathered a weakness for almost all of the League league members and stores them in cases within the Batcave. Cyborg's case was most recently opened in Batman and Robin number 35 and the famous words of Batman is always prepared. I thought the fight was entertaining. Aquaman was taken down a little too easily and I had to read over the book twice to understand how Wonder Woman was apprehended. <laughs> Otherwise, I thought Bruce's defense against Flash was obvious and simple but good. Would you be interested in seeing a larger arc of Batman against the League? Do you think that Snyder did this well in the 23-page space he wrote it in? Thanks again for great listening content. I look forward to the next episode. I do think it would be really cool. I don't necessarily think that I think Snyder needs to do it. Do it. I do think it would be really cool to see Batman versus the League. Um, we haven't seen it necessarily super directly. Tower of Babel is a very good storyline that I would suggest reading um, if you want to see Batman taking out the the uh, Justice League indirectly, at least, because his plans are used by Ra's al Ghul. But um, I do think it would be cool. I think Snyder did it well within the space that he had in this issue. I think if it was any longer, it would start to feel as if it was Justice League and not so much Batman. So, yeah, go ahead and do it. Snyder, I think, did a decent job. I don't think he needs to do it again, though. Yeah, I'm the same thing. I mean, I think that it's... 
I, I think that there's some things that once they're done, unless you can considerably improve upon it, don't bother. What Snyder did was different because it was a setup to another story. The story wasn't Batman versus the Justice League. That was just a setup, right? But unless you're going to improve on Tower of Babel, then just don't bother doing it again. I mean, Tower of Babel, and anyone who's out there who wants to see this and hasn't read Tower of Babel, it's collected in like the new JLA collections in, the, in, in volume four. Um, and that's available. That just only came out like six months ago in that, that version. So it's JLA volume four, but it's really good. And if you haven't read it and you want to see that kind of story, uh, that's definitely the place to read it. And also they kind of turned, uh, Tower of Babel into a just, into an animated movie as well. Yeah. Um, so it, it's out there in various forms, but that is definitely the definitive Batman versus, uh, the Justice League. Although it's not quite like that, you'll, 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 you'll read it and you'll get. All right. So next, John says, I'd love to hear your highlights of extra books. My funds are tight and I can't buy all the books I'd like to buy. So highlights would be awesome. Thanks for all the work you guys do. It's greatly appreciated. And last but not least, Michael says, late to the game here, but I agree with some of the other posters. I like the idea of a spotlight on the other Bat Family books as I don't have the funds to buy them all if I want to stay married. I don't mind longer podcasts at all. I know it's just more work for all of you. Thank you all for your hard work and to keep us updated and entertained. So... Thank you, everybody, for responding. I, I greatly appreciate that. The one thing I implore all of you who did make the re- make the request for us to continue the TV Spotlight, please go to iTunes and leave us positive reviews because it seems that some of the more recent reviews, which there hasn't been very many recently, but some of the reviews on iTunes say that the uh, podcast is way too long and it should not be as long as it is. And by adding the TV Spotlight, that will push the runtime longer, so... That's something that is going to, you know, it's just, you know, collateral damage for having the TBU spotlight. So I implore you all to leave reviews saying that the podcast is awesome and that you wouldn't care if it was four hours long, but it will never be four hours long. Yeah. But <laughs> that you, you would, you would listen to it no matter what, because that only helps uh, the ratings for the iTunes pod or for the podcast on iTunes go up. So with that, uh, basically based off of everybody who respond, nobody at all said they didn't want to hear us do a spotlight. So as I already promised, we are going to do spotlight this episode. I still want to hear from more fans, um, and get some more responses. So please, I implore you to leave your comments about whether or not you'd like to hear a TV spotlight going forward. Keep in mind that next month we do have Gotham by Midnight releasing, which is uh, one of the newer series. We would not be covering that if it was not within the TV spotlight. So as I said, please leave your comments in the comment section. Um, whether or not we get to all the discussion points, can't make promises on that depending on how many books we have to cover and how big the TV spotlight's going to be. But Keep leaving those comments, and if we see something that you know warrants a, a good discussion, we will definitely take that into consideration. So, with that, let's jump into TBU Spotlight. So, uh, this, this one, we each have a book that we're going to spotlight. Uh, I'm going to go first because mine's completely outside the box, and realistically, I don't have that much to really go in depth with. Um, so, my, my book for this this uh, this TBU Spotlight is the Harley Quinn Annual. Now we haven't talked about Harley Quinn that much. I mean, it's it's doing amazing in sales numbers, uh, better than I think DC could have ever expected. To the point where they're jacking up the price of and and coming out with special issues. Uh, July we had the Comic Con special. We have the annual this month, which is the Rub and Smell Spectacular. We have a holiday special coming out in December. They're jumping on the bandwagon and making sure that there's plenty of uh, merchandise for you to buy related to Harley Quinn when it comes to the comics, at least. So 
I figured why not cover Harley Quinn, this rub and smell, because it is completely different and outside the box. So without going into the entire rundown of what happened, I'll basically say this. Uh, basically, Poison Ivy tells or gets in contact with Harley and says, I need you to help me break out of Arkham Asylum. Harley goes on a mission to stop her, or not to stop her, to 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 rescue her or break her out of Arkham Asylum. Um, so the first part of the book is her getting into Arkham. Then when they get into Arkham, they're in a laboratory where something, a jar cracks and some gas gets released, and the gas turns out to be basically some sort of pot smoke gas or something like that because of the name. It's like cannibal like cannabis isis or whatever. But um it's basically pot and they all start hallucinating and then we see each one of the characters who breathed in the gas and their hallucinations. Um so I implore you to pick it up. There's Harley Quinn is definitely not a series where you have to pick it up every month to keep up with what's going on in the Batman universe. But it's an enjoyable book because, honestly, this was the first book that really had a tone change within the Batman universe since the beginning of the New 52 because it is so crazy and so outside the box. Um, speaking about the rub and smell specific parts, um, it was kind of cool. Um, you know, I will say this. I Reading through the issue, I felt like there wasn't as much to smell as I felt like there should have been. Now, given this issue was... Uh, $5.99 and it came in a poly bag so you couldn't rub and smell inside the, the, the uh, store if you wanted to figure out what it was or if you wanted to see if it was worth it but it was a it was a bigger book because it was an annual I just don't feel like it would normally be this price I don't remember exactly what the solicited page count was but overall it was like about 40 pages somewhere around there and it didn't feel like it would warrant $6. So I feel like it would have been $5. The extra dollar was for the rub and smell. And there was about, I think, eight different spots in the book that you could smell. And some of them were actually the same exact thing. They were the pizza burp. So if you were trying to realize what you could smell in the issue, um, you could smell leather, banana butter, or like suntan lotion, pizza, cannabis, um, Edgar's crotch, which also smelled like leather and pizza burp. Now, when you think about it, pizza burp, pizza are pretty much the same thing. Those were done multiple times. Leather and Edgar's crotch was pretty much the same thing. So there really wasn't that many different things. Now there was plenty of other things you could have smelled because there was points in the book where they mentioned poo, prison food and hairballs. Now I'm glad we didn't have this. They didn't have those smells, but at the same time, it seems like as much as it was an interesting idea to do the rub and smell, I feel like it was kind of underwhelming with how much was actually able to be smelled. But I would still suggest picking up this specific issue because it shows you how crazy outside the box it is. And ever since Harley Quinn launched, I've been saying this, this is basically DC's Deadpool character where it's off the wall doing whatever they want and and I think it's amusing and it's interesting. It's so different than everything else we see. Yeah, and then sales numbers are like like you said, they're tremendous and that's why we're getting so many specials. Think about it. we got the San Diego Comic Con special, right? We got the annual, there's a holiday special next month. And I think the success of Harley Quinn is why we may maybe one of the reasons we got the new Batgirl in, 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 in titles like like uh Gotham Academy. So yeah, it's I would definitely recommend anyone who doesn't doesn't read. 
Um, so Stella, we, we've been experiencing some technical problems. So now we are live with Stella via telephone. Yes, I know this is the 21st century, but we are using telephones. Um, so that is why she sounds different than all of the beginning of the episode. Harley Quinn. <laughs> I felt like I was on an acid drip when I was, uh, when I was reading it, but. There were, I loved just the different art styles that went in, depending on like what part of the, the journey they were in. And, and I loved seeing, um, Ivy and Harley, uh, together because I, I just loved some, you know, um, Gotham girls sort of team up. All right. So with that, let's Harley Quinn, annual number one, rub and smell. With that, let's move into Ed's book for the month. Uh, my book for the month was Arkham Manor. It had the, uh, its number one issue come out this past month. We, we've kind of talked about some of the events leading up to it in our eternal stuff earlier in the episode, and I thought this was a perfect place to kind of put this in. But basically what happens here in, in, in Arkham Manor in, in a short version is we find out that Bruce Wayne's lost all his money and that the state is going to use um, you know, the, the, the domain laws to simply take over Wayne Manor and turn it into a new place to put all the inmates of Arkham Asylum. And there's a lot of construction done in the episode, so it's not like they just throw them in there. Um, it's seems to be turned into a proper a proper asylum um batman lets him lets him do it um because i you know he really doesn't seem to to need the house at at this point and decides in the end of the episode to go undercover as jake shaw uh kind of like a matches malone type character um where he's going to go undercover in arkham manor so the whole thing is really just seems like um a setup to to the the new story that's going to be going on here and I guess the only real question I have about it, because we've talked about a lot of the stuff that went on in the story back in Eternal, is how long do you guys think this issue can go on for? I mean, how long do you think the story can go on? For? Well, honestly, I feel like it would be a limited story regardless. Um, don't get me wrong. I, I really enjoyed this. And this was would have been my pick if you didn't pick it first, because I, I actually I really enjoyed it too. But I feel like eventually – down the line sometime, we're going to see a new state-of-the-art Arkham Asylum built up and they will move out and then it'll they'll move out of Arkham because honestly, it doesn't feel like Arkham Manor is a permanent location for these. It feels like it's a temporary thing that they're doing because they don't really have any other options. Um, but eventually we will see a brand new Arkham Asylum, which is so interesting because if, you, if we look at our, the history of Arkham Asylum, Pre-New 52, um, there was, there was a point where it was during Battle for the Cow where Arkham Asylum was completely redone. Right. And completely modernized and everything and then New 52 hit and we get right back to the old Arkham where it basically is this building that should have been condemned so long ago. Um, so it's interesting that, you know, basically getting in some ways, back to the point we were pre-New 52. But, you know, by all means, I mean, if I, I'm interested in seeing what the stories are. This, you know, Batman is this Jack Shaw character. It intrigues me, and I'm looking forward to seeing what's happening. I enjoyed the writing. Um, uh, Gary Duggan is writing this, and he did the same. Uh, he wrote Batman number 34 in August, and you could see the similar style in it. But I think it'll be interesting. I mean, Arkham Manor, this did feel like a... A setup issue, um, but not necessarily in a bad way. It didn't, it, it felt like, you know, we're not going to be telling these ginormous long stories, but we will have continuing elements overall, which is fine. But essentially, I think you could consider this almost like a one and done 
where it felt as if it was self-contained in this one issue outside of the fact that Batman is now Jack Shaw and he's going undercover. But I, I'm looking forward to it. I, you know, I, I, I want to see what's going to happen. Yeah, I think it's cool. I think it's a cool idea. I mean, I think I think we all eventually you know at some point they'll come back to Wayne Manor. You know, I mean, just because, and I could see him staying out of it for a couple of years even, but I mean, I think it's, it, it's, it's Batman and at some point some writer is going to take him back to Wayne, you know? Um, but, but yeah, I think this, this is good. And I think this is how you do a tie in that is related to Batman Eternal, but doesn't weigh down of what's going on internally anymore. So yeah, I like it. Arkham Manor, I think we've touched on it. Just the fact that, um, I think there are major questions that need to be answered before all this happens. And I think it's a bit of a doozy. Um, but it, it was better than I thought it was going to be. And now you've got this mystery and then you have Bruce Wayne who's infiltrating it. So actually it's, it's pretty intriguing and, and I'm looking forward to, to watching or sorry, for it's reading more issues. Mm-hmm. All right. So with that, we're going to get into, uh, now that, now that we've talked about Arkham Manor, Stella, what is your pick for TV spotlight this, this episode? My TV spotlight, bit of a shocker here. I was thinking that it was going to be Arkham Manor, but then Ed swooped in like a creature of the night and, and took that up right away. So I ended up wanting to give Catwoman 35 a shot because um, I felt like it was a new direction and just going off of what uh, Eternal had been doing, I had high hopes that it was going to be good. And I haven't really liked Catwoman since the beginning. So I was pleasantly surprised with this. So we've got this new creative team. I guess 35 is a magic number for a new creative team. Uh, but uh, Genevieve or Genevieve, uh, Valentin, and then Art, that was the writer, and then Art is by Gary Brown. So just a, I felt like a very different Catwoman. And not a lot, if you think about it, not a lot happens in this issue. It's a lot of exposition and setup. But I just love really getting into the Selena Kyle character here and really deciding that she couldn't do anything as Catwoman, so she's going to do it as Selena. And I think we've got a taste of this with Future's End, but basically she's, she's head of the, the Calabrese, she's the family, so she's really just taken her um, her name and decided to run with it. And some people are happy about it, some people aren't. But she really wants to fix Gotham City, and then after they fix it, uh, sort of plunder, I think, to a certain extent. But just a setup with, with the family and her at the head of the table, and then you've got a little black mask action at the end, which I'm sure will be interesting. But I think, like I said, not a lot happened, but I thought it was a really great introduction to her and this new direction with her, so I would definitely recommend it. Yeah, and just to piggyback off that, I I loved it. I mean, someone who's been reading Catwoman and just tearing my hair out uh, to the point where I'm practically bald because of it. Um, this is, this is so, so much better. I mean, if you have not been reading Catwoman, I strongly suggest you pick it back up and give it a shot. Um, I know for a fact, uh, starting this month, we will be having someone review it on the website. Um, we didn't have the first issue, this 35 issue reviewed, but next month we have almost every single bat book being reviewed every single time it releases. So be looking on the website for new reviews, but Catwoman is something I cannot stress enough. It was one of the few new books that we did not have reviewed or new direction of the books that we did not have reviewed on the website, but that uh, by no means means that you should not be picking up. It was really, really good. Um, I thought that the direction that they're going, I mean, 
okay, just a couple things. The art is fantastic. I love it. Um, the, the, uh, the writing, you would never even in your wildest imagination have any idea that the writer never wrote a comic book ever in her life, but she hasn't. And it is, it's really good. I mean, this reminds me of, in some ways, uh, Brubaker in, uh, and Catwoman. Um, and, and because it's, it's just, it's that into it, like they're, they are fine tuned into who Selena Kyle is and I am loving it. Yeah. Um, the one thing that happens at the very end of the issue that I feel like we need to mention just because it's there, uh, Selena Kyle goes out on the balcony and she's looking out at Gotham and while she's looking, she notices that there's someone in a Catwoman outfit watching her. So the question is, there's another Catwoman out there. That's something I think, uh, if you aren't reading a lot of these books, you should be, you know, you should know about. But, uh, it is really, really good. Yeah. I mean, for those listeners out there that used to listen to the point five cast, Catwoman was something that was, I mean, we hate I it. mean, it was bad. <laughs> I mean, there, I remember there's one episode where you actually cut in something before we even started the music at the beginning. Where you actually said, let's just get Catwoman out of the way and do it first. It's terrible. I can't stand it. I mean, it, yeah. I mean, it was, it was beyond, there was some issues where, and I'm not trying to break the point, but there were some issues that literally didn't make sense. Like they, they didn't, you got to the end and you're like, what happened? Um, this is really good. I mean, this seems more grounded. The art solid. Um, although we've kept the numbering in place. Um, I would just look at this number 35 as an issue number one. And anybody out there that, that was didn't like Nocenti's take on it or is looking for another book to add to their stack, um, just go do it because this seems like it's going to be a pretty solid title for a while. All right, so those are our recommendations. Harley Quinn Annual 1, Archimander number 1, Catwoman number 35. Those are our suggestions for this episode. As far as the other stuff that released in the, the last three weeks that we didn't necessarily talk about, Batman Superman number 15, Batwoman number 35, uh, Harley Quinn number 11, uh, you got Justice League number 35, which really doesn't have Batman in it at all, Red Hood and the Outlaws 35, Teen Titans number 3, and if you didn't notice, Deathstroke number 1, one of the other new titles that just launched, uh, also featured Batman Gotham City. So those are the other books that came out in the last three weeks that if you are interested in taking a look. Uh, like I said, going forward, we have people reviewing all of the Bat books um, there's just a couple of small books that, uh, well, not, I shouldn't say small books, but just a couple of books that we don't have coverage of. And I'm going to run through those titles right now, because if you are someone who is reading any of those titles and you'd like to review, I strongly suggest you get in contact with us. The books that we do not have people reviewing as of right now are Red Hood and the Outlaws, Teen Titans, New Suicide Squad, World's Finest, uh, Just League 3000, uh, the new Secret Six series that's going to be written by Gail Simone that's coming out next month. Uh, we have, and then going to the, some of the digital ones, we have Batman Beyond, which, well, at this point, Batman Beyond's over, so that one is not an option. Uh, Batman the Jiro Kawada Batmanga, uh, Infinite Crisis, and then there's a couple kids' titles, Scooby-Doo Team-Up, one involves Batman, Teen Titans Go, and Tiny Titans. So, by all means, if you have are interested in any of those titles, specifically Red Hood, Teen Titans, or Suicide Squad. Oh, also Earth 2 is a possibility as well. If you're interested in any of those titles, let us know and we will get you set up on the website so that you can start reviewing those titles. Um, with that, 
that is everything for this episode. I want to remind everybody to head over to the website for all the latest news related to movies, TV, merchandise, video game, and of course the comics. Also be sure to check out all of the editorials slash reviews that we have. As I said, give your ratings for each individual issue that is reviewed on the website and leave those comments. You know, the comments that you guys leave for the guys who review the comics, it gives them more inclination to continue to do their reviews They when they see feedback from you guys. So if you're reading those reviews, especially for those of you who don't have the money to pick up those issues, if you don't have the money to pick up the issues and you're reading the in-detailed reviews of a lot of these books that we don't cover here on the podcast, I strongly suggest you leave your comments and, you know, even if it's not you didn't read the issue and you're just thankful for the fact that you can read exactly what's happening in the books, let those the, those guys know that you guys are re- reading those reviews so that they have more, you know, more reason to keep doing those reviews. Um, in addition to that, you can follow us on Twitter, Facebook, and YouTube, as well as join our Facebook group. Our Facebook group is blowing up, and if you haven't joined it, I strongly suggest you have. There's uh, right now, it's I think it's up to 1,200 people on that group, um, and the numbers keep going up. Uh, we've crossed 3,000 on our Twitter page, uh, so keep adding to those if you haven't followed us on either one of those. Also, leave us reviews on iTunes. Those are always greatly appreciated. And, as of course, I've got to plug any staff who are interested, specifically what we are looking for as of right now. We are looking for news reporters. Uh, outside of the review, the, the comics to review that I mentioned earlier, we're looking for news reporters for movies, TV, video games, and merchandise. And, of course, if you're that person who just likes anything Batman and doesn't fall into any of those categories, that would fall under general. So uh, any news reporters for those specific areas, we have uh, Terry Houston is doing a great job covering the comic news. Um, but those other areas, we are needing news reporters. So it's not a whole lot of work. You basically have to keep up with news. If you pick one specific section, you're looking for news related to that with Batman vs. Superman coming out. Uh, we've got Lego Batman coming out just in the next week while you're listening to this. And then we have uh, Batman Arkham Knight um, in TV. We have Gotham. There's all kinds of stuff. So we are always looking for news reporters. Get in contact with us. The best way to do that is go to the website at the bottom of the page. You see a big spot on the right-hand side that says Join TVU Staff. Click that image. It tells you exactly what we're looking for and then tells us how to get in contact with us. So, with that, that is everything for this episode. This is Dustin. This is Ed. And this is Stella. Oh, and I can't believe I didn't mention this earlier, but check out all of our other podcasts, including Back of the Oracle, because I don't know why Stella didn't plug it herself, but check out Back of the Oracle, because Stella got an awesome interview with the creative team behind the new direction of Batgirl, Cameron Stewart, Babs Tarr, and Brendan Fletcher. Be sure to check that out over on that feed as well. So with that, that is everything. We'll see you guys in two weeks.